The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, man, how's it going, bud? It is going well. I mean, I don't know. That's 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 the exciting opening everybody was expecting from an episode. But uh, honestly, it's right down the middle. It's businesses picking up. People have decided that they need to come to the doctor's office more than they did a couple months ago. So... Here we are. Indeed. Uh, and we're recording this a little bit earlier than what is going to come out. So, Tom, you got any big 4th of July plans? No. Um, uh, okay. I, I was, I was going to say something like, yeah, I'm going to jump into competitive eating and see how many hot dogs I can throw down. But nah, I do like cheeseburgers. So is there a competitive cheeseburger contest? I'm sure there is. I mean, I think if not, we should sponsor one i mean oh god oh i can't <laughs> wait for this email <laughs> so yeah i don't think we're doing a whole lot either uh, COVID on the horizon it seems uh, eternally at this point um, i mean we're kind of we'll do some little family stuff but i mean nothing nothing extravagant at this point well i guess that's one of the things i didn't think about but yeah most of the fireworks arrangements around here have been canceled and again i don't think anyone's well i don't think the majority of sane people are arguing with it so it's going to be yeah small gatherings might hang out with some family members and just kind of honestly enjoy the time versus if there has been one decent aspect of covid and it's hard to find one but if there has been it has been the canceling of large events where you don't feel like you have to rush around to do a bunch of stuff. You can just chill out and hang back. And I think that's the plan for our 4th of July. Locally, there's going to be some towns that are going to do their big fireworks display, but it sounds like most people are going to be confined to their cars to watch fireworks. But yeah, I guess that is one uh, bright, I guess if you can find a bright thing in COVID is yeah, you kind of focus more on, on the family and, and, smaller units as opposed to big concerts and stuff like that. But if it takes football, Tom, yeah, done. Well, I mean, it <laughs> takes the Cowboys. Is that really hurting anybody? But you're so mean. I am. I believe that our guest is a 49ers fan though. So I mean, I really can't oh, say much. God. So here in a second, I just wanted to throw out because we have done so many separate COVID episodes that this one is COVID related, but it's very special because tonight we have a guest and she was at ground zero for COVID in the United States. So Shannon, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, Hey guys, I'm Shannon. I'm here with Ben and Tommy. I've actually known them for quite some time now. It's great to be with you guys. Oh, she's the first to admit that she knew us. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. Most people are like, no, I don't, I don't know these guys at all. Who are they? And you are a 49ers fan, right, Shannon? I am a 49ers fan. I almost I almost got it in there. <laughs> <laughs> you could have. We would have let you. So how'd you how'd you feel about that Super Bowl? Uh, oh. I, I, I hate that Super Bowl. That's probably why we have COVID here, right? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Super Bowl is like a curse. <laughs> Let's say ever since Kansas City's won, it's, it has went down. I mean, the world's gone downhill. I, I can't yes. get for that. I would say as a person, I mean, I have friends that are 49ers fans. I have friends that are Chiefs fans. From a person on the outside, 
that just has friends that are big fans. That was a great game. Like that oh, was, was yeah. The was. game itself was excellent. You, you're correct, but yeah, I know a couple other 49ers fans that I was like, that's got to be a tough pill to swallow. It is <laughs> right there. It is, especially when we didn't lose until what the third quarter. Oh, <laughs> yeah, boy. yeah, but. You got to give the Chiefs were a tough, tough team this year. So I mean, so were the 49ers, but the Chiefs have an excellent quarterback. I'll give them that. They do. They I certainly do. Like they certainly do. Tom so, Browns do. Just, <laughs> hey. <laughs> First of all, I am a Browns fan. Let's just throw uh, that out. Okay. okay. Second of all, as a Browns fan, you can't hurt me. There's literally <laughs> nothing. There's nothing you or Shannon can say to me that I have not said worse. Like you could be like, Tom, you suck. I'd be like, I'm a Browns fan. Were you thinking I was unaware of what the Browns were going to do? So the only thing that has ever surprised me is when people are like, you guys are going to do great this year. I'm like, hold on. You are talking about the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> I forget they're a team. <laughs> It's wow. Like most of the time, so. <laughs> wow. I forgot they were a team. <laughs> oh, I still love them. I still love the guys. And I'm rooting for them. And of course, but I, I'm more of a college guy and I'm an Ohio State fan. But yeah, I, I do love my brownies. I just, oh, it's like the bad news bears of pro football. <laughs> it just, uh, okay. Do what? Somebody's got to love them. Yeah, no, there's there's a few thousand of us. You can tell by the empty seats in the stands. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but hey, you know, one of these days we're, you're gonna you watch. One of these days we're gonna do something great, like win more than we lose or something. And I'm like, yeah, suck that. So there you go. But yeah, so now enough bashing on my Browns for just a minute here. So Shannon. I know you talked about knowing us, but what type of nursing have you been primarily into? Because this show usually is for advanced practitioners. So what kind of nursing, like what's your background in nursing? So critical care is mainly all I've ever done. We work together, Tom. I started in 2012 and that's primarily all I've done is critical care travel nurse for five years. That's kind of how I ended up going to New York so easily. I gave up travel nursing. Well, I tried to give up travel nursing in March because I'm working on my master's degree, my nurse practitioner license. Currently, I've got a year left. Awesome. Are you going for family or acute care? What kind of nurse practitioner are you shooting for? Mental health. That's what I thought, but I didn't want to say that. You'd be like, um, no. (laughs) I well, do love the crazy. Well, we actually just did a couple episodes with a mental health nurse practitioner. So, oh, really? awesome. yeah. So we we love we love all the aspects of nursing here on this show, but it's it's good to know because you know we reference that during the show is what's your background or something like that. So right. that's, that's always important to go. So before we get too deep into it, usually we do a couple other things. So this is Ben's favorite part of the show coming up, Shannon. Okay. What is it, Tom? Uh, you say some stuff really fast. <laughs> it's our in one media. breath. It, it's, yeah, in one breath. Listen to all. all right, so our social media shout out. Here we go. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast. You can find us on the web or www.justsomepodcast.com. Or you can email us, admin at justsomepodcast.com. Tom, what else can we do? Well, they can go to the Just Some Podcast website. They can scroll down to just about the bottom. You're going to see an Amazon tag. Click on that before you do any shopping or you put anything in your basket. And then do shopping as normal. Buy whatever it is you're going to buy. It doesn't cost you anything, and it helps out the show and sends us a little bit of proceeds. So we do appreciate when you use it. Uh, Shannon, is there any social media or websites or anything you want to shout out? No, I don't think so. (laughs) No. <laughs> there you go. See? There you go. No, that's that's fine. It's perfectly normal. And don't forget to leave us ratings and reviews on anywhere that you're downloading this podcast now because we like those too. Even the one star ones. But if you're going to leave us a one star, you got to tell us why. Again, don't mind the one star. I just wish they would have been like, this is why you suck. I'm like, good yeah. Lord, just tell me. <laughs> All right. Well, Tom, you're ready to jump into our story that you may have missed. 
Yeah, I feel prepared. All right. Well, this one's going to be a little bit different, Tom. We're going to kind of quiz you and Shannon a little bit because I, as I alluded to, you know, we're recording this early, but this is going to come out right around the 4th of July. And so I thought, well, let's pull some statistics for the 4th of July and injuries and stuff. So how much do you guys think Americans spend annually on fireworks? Total. 1.5 billion. Shannon, you got a guess? Mm, I would say it's probably over 1.5 billion. I'd say it's. This isn't the price is right, Shannon. Give me a number. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like people are, you know, that's the way America is. So I would say probably at least 2 billion. What is it? Well, it's actually 1 billion annually. 1 billion. So. Still a lot of money. That is a lot of money. If you think about it, I mean, for like one week of time frame to spend a billion dollars that's pretty impressive unless you're the federal government and they can spend that in like 30 seconds so on average how many er visits in the united states due to a fireworks related injury due to fireworks only fireworks related injuries across the nation yep Uh, a million Ooh, i was i was gonna say five hundred thousand. See, again, you had, according to these statistics, that's low, or you guys are way off. It's on average 11,000 people in the United States visit an ER oh, wow. each year due to a fireworks-related injury. The other thing this mentioned that I thought was kind of interesting, during the past 25 years, over 40% of people injured by fireworks were not using them. They were just simply watching. Uh, when fired horizontally, a bottle rocket travels fast enough to cover the length of a football field in just one second. That's hauling ass right there. (laughs) That's a projectile, my friend. Yes, yes. I want to try it now. I want to go to the local. (laughs) How did Shannon lose a finger? Because she was trying to shoot a bottle rocket sideways. (laughs) It's bottle rocket science. There you go. Sparklers are also not safe, depending on the size and what materials are used to create them. Uh, They can reach temperatures of 1,800 to 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit. 15 to 30% of firework injuries among children are caused by sparklers. So, so. I guess I just thought with a billion dollars worth of fireworks, 500,000 people visiting didn't really seem like that big a deal. Right. Well, and I think our faith in humanity is kind of a lot lower right now, Tommy. (laughs) (laughs) Well. So I think that's why we're exaggerating a little bit. Yeah, mine's always pretty low. So, I mean. My office staff literally gave me a sign and it's a picture of the South Park people like the newscaster. And it's like my faith in humanity and it's gone. And that's like <laughs> literally in my office. So yeah, it is what it is. So be safe with your fireworks. That was kind of what that story that you may miss was about. So you also notice this a lot during the show. Shannon is I'll the one that goes off on tangents and then Ben has to try to bring me back. <laughs> to what's going on it's okay that it, it's a good dynamic we will it, it works well. it works it works all right this is where we start what got you interested or what caught your attention and you decided you wanted to go to new york city you know honestly i uh, was working on my first clinical and mental health And the CEO came in to the office and pretty much told me that it was my last day for clinical, that COVID had made it to where we couldn't be in person anymore and they were going to have to do telehealth and they pretty much didn't want us involved in it. It was already going to be too much for them. So it, it was like a gut punch for me because I was, you know, I'm a year from being finished and that was the beginning of it. So I drove home. I I hadn't been working as a nurse very much, doing bedside nursing, maybe one shift or two shifts a week. And so I came home and I called my manager. I told him what just happened. And he says, well, I got some bad news for you too. Uh, We're not going to be needing you either. (laughs) So for about three weeks, I sat on my couch and watch the news because I was trying to learn as much about COVID and this pandemic that was headed our way and was escalating in New York. And to be honest with you, it seemed so hard to believe. And I listened to Cuomo pretty much every morning for at least two of those weeks. And he got on there and he got to where he was saying, if you're an ICU nurse, we need you now. 
And I just eventually just looked up at my husband and I said, I've got to go. Like, I can't sit here while people suffering and these nurses, you know, I know what it's like to suffer just with a bad trauma patient, but the thought was getting to me too much. So my husband asked me to wait 24 hours before I made a decision because he wanted me to actually think about it, not just do something. So the next morning I got a phone call from a recruiter, which it's not unknown for me to get a phone call two or three times a week, but about 10 o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call from a recruiter saying, Hey, New York needs you. Uh, Are you willing to go? And I said, yes. And it took three days and I was headed to New York. I didn't even have really a lot of time to think about it at that point. So you mentioned that your husband wanted you to, to take 24 hours to think about it. And obviously it sounds like you did. What were some of his initial thoughts, concerns, anything along those lines? I think he was just absolutely shocked that I even, it came out of my mouth. But at the same time, I think he thought I was so depressed over my, cause that's, I kind of pouted about it. I kind of pouted about my clinicals being canceled and, you know, I was like, work doesn't need me. Oh my God, what am I going to do? I can't just sit here. I think he thought that my decision might be rash. So I think it was shock factor. It didn't even hit him. I'll be honest with you. I don't think it hit my husband, the reality of what I was doing until 24 hours before I got on the plane because he cried. And I don't know that he's going to want me to say that, but (laughs) (laughs) he, he cried several times. And then the morning I left to get on the plane, he just hugged me and cried because at the time... We didn't know if I'd come back or, you know, what it was going to look like or if I was going to be out there longer. Because if I got it, if I got COVID, then I was out for two weeks. Well, then I had two weeks to make up at the end of my contract because you're guarantee them this much time out there. So we had no idea what it was going to look like for us. What were some of the things you were considering or thinking about? I'll be quite honest with you. I knew it was bad, but I we get so much hype about the media, like portraying things in such a negative light that I was just kind of in the mindset, I'm going to believe it when I see it. And it didn't take much when I got to New York to realize, oh my gosh, I just walked into something really bad. (laughs) The airport was dead, calm. There was nobody. When I got on the plane, there was three passengers from my flight to Chicago and my flight from Chicago to New York, there was 10 passengers. And so I don't think reality actually hit for me until I got to New York. Critical care nurses, we're always ready for the adrenaline rush. When things are slow, we're bored. It's not normal for us. So it's something that I'm, I was used to. Like, give me something good, make my time go by fast. Well, this was a whole different picture, even as a critical care nurse dealing with that absolute trauma that walks in the door. This was way different. Well, it almost sounds doing that in the way, I mean, some of the pictures and stuff that we'd seen, it almost sounded like a, almost a like post-apocalyptic world. Exactly. So New York, I was there when I was 17. It was shoulder to shoulder, even on the streets. You walk down the street, the sidewalk is full of people, you know, just going back and forth. I could literally stand in a road and take a picture at Times Square. I took pictures with the NYPD and usually those people won't even talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) They won't, they don't have time. They're, they're always on kind of the defense worried about their own protection. And I actually took a picture with a group of them and people, I even think people looking at my pictures still didn't believe it was as bad as what I was saying it was. (laughs) Before you got to New York city, what did you prep anything? Because I actually know other nurses that have gone to New York City. Some of them brought their own PPE oh, yes. or they bought their own N95s or N100s. What were some of the things you did to prepare going to New York City? So the day after I decided to go, I knew I didn't have much time. I didn't have any PPE here at the house. I, you know, I may have some gloves and stuff, but I didn't have anything. So I literally made a social media post just asking, because I have a ton of nurse and doctor friends, hey, does anybody have any surgical masks or N95s? And I actually got an outpour of supplies. I probably took a suitcase full of PPE with me. I had surgical masks that I wore. I had some people donated some Germex. I had several N95s that I took. I wore N95 after I got on the plane the whole time. So with your travel company, and we don't, we don't need to get specific as to which one it was as far as like who you worked for, how much support was there prior to you getting to New York 
while you were in New York and then afterwards? I would say my travel company, it was just, I don't know if you guys ever travel nurse before, but it was just the maintenance of travel. They vet you as a nurse, so they make sure that you're qualified. And it was very basic what they made sure I was qualified for. And that's about it. And then they made sure I was paid every week. They didn't, not once did they really check on me. But, you know, at the same time, I had to be understanding because when I got, the day I got to New York, there was 400 nurses that landed within that week. Just for my hospital, 400 nurses had started. And that's like a whole staff for most hospitals. Yeah. So was your experience with your travel company? And again, I I don't, I know I've never done travel nursing. I'm sure Ben hasn't. Mm -hmm. Does that seem to be indicative of what the other nurses were experiencing as well? Oh yeah. I think they were just overloaded to be honest with you. I don't think they had time to make sure that we felt safe or had the PPE we needed. When I signed up to go, they literally told me on the phone, you do realize that you probably are not going to have the supplies that you need. And if you said no, I mean, they were, they were trying to let us know, Hey, this is your chance to opt out. Now you're not going to have the resources and the supplies that you're going to need. So they were trying to paint the picture of, you know, what it was going to look like. Yeah. So travel, travel agencies, you know, it's just their job to fill in holes at a hospital. They're, it's not their job to be protective of us. It's not their job to make sure we have the supplies. It's their job. We hope that they're honest with us to what we're walking into. Like I work with Jeff Stoner and John Nolan a lot when I do travel nurse and they're pretty honest and I, and I know them personally, so they're pretty honest, but you get with these bigger companies and the company I went out with is a bigger company. So it's pretty much all the same. You just got to understand that some will be honest and some won't. I guess, Tom, do you have any other questions about like prep before we get into New York? What would you have prepared knowing what you know now? I think packing probably more PPE because you never know. I didn't know how much resources they they would have. And uh, packing wipes, antibacterial wipes, Clorox wipes, you know, just stuff to stay clean. Really, the only way to kill this virus is to stay clean. I when you said wipes, that wasn't the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> I was like, wow, how many baby wipes were you going through? <laughs> 9,000. Just... Yes. Oh, well, you know, when you get stressed. <laughs> wipes to clean stuff up. To, gotcha. you know, to wipe down stuff like Clorox wipes or Lysol wipes. So you've made it to New York. And take us through, like, I mean, obviously not getting specific because we don't want to violate any federal or laws or anything along those lines. But I mean, can you take us through, like, how your day one was? Well, my day one was awful. It was probably the worst day of my whole stay there. So I I walk in, the manager kind of meets us. We get there, they meet us and take us to the department that we're going to be in. When you walk in the door, they hand you an N95, you know, because they, at this point, they figure it's in the air everywhere. Like New York is just figuring that this virus is everywhere. But I walked in, I walked back to the ICU and they literally had, I called him a guard dog. And it was somebody that watched us don and doff. And so the manager walks us back. This guy pretty much dresses me kind of to show me how I'm expected to don and doff. And then the manager walks me back to the ICU. I'm left with their quote unquote charge at the time. And I'm told, because usually as a travel nurse, you get one day of orientation. And so I'm told I'm going to get one day of orientation. And like five minutes after he left me with her, we're, we're going over the patients that we're going to have together. He comes up to me and he goes, Shannon, did you know you weren't going to get any, any orientation? And I was like, no, no, I didn't know that. And he goes, well, I'm sorry. He goes, we don't have enough nurses, so I'm going to need you to take patients today. Mind you, I don't have any access to the Pixis, which what they considered was a Pixis is where we, you know, where we got some of our supplies. And then I don't have any access to the OmniCell either where we get our medications. 
the whole unit is an open unit. So there's about 16 beds in a big room and we're all in PPE and decked out in it. And the whole unit is lined with totes, like the moving totes that you move with. And they're labeled what is in them, like five CC syringes, you know, to, I mean, there's just totes all over this room and nurses are just grabbing from it as they're trying to save lives. And so he takes me over to my two patients and he goes, I think you're going to get report from this girl. Well, she is a med surge nurse. She has never worked a day in her life in the ICU. So her eyes are huge. And she just looks at me and she goes, I just kept them alive. And I said, can you tell me anything about them? And she goes, we can look at the computer. She said, when I got report, I was just told to keep them alive. Wow. So med surge nurses usually have six patients, but they don't ever have ventilators and they don't ever have the types of drips we use in critical care. The drips we use are, you know, to keep the blood pressure up to keep the heart beating, to keep the patient sedated. They're, they're high risk drugs. And so my first day in New York, 790, I don't even remember, 790 some people died. And I don't know how many died in our hospital, but I can tell you that there were a lot because when I walked in, there was already a lot of people that were gone. So she gave me two patients, one of them being a patient that was pregnant she was 28 weeks, and a patient that was on BiPAP. Now, BiPAP, the patients are awake still because you want them breathing. And she was the only patient that was on BiPAP. And she just, you could just tell she was scared for her life. Well, I, I'm pretty much told in report, just keep these patients alive. So I, I go in and see my pregnant patient, and the physician comes in after me. And pregnant patients can't be sedated like anybody that you normally have because it crosses the barrier to the baby and it can cause issues. So my pregnant patient wasn't sedated. And then, of course, my BiPAP patient's completely open. You have no way of guarding her eyes from what she's seeing as people are coding patients around her. And our codes weren't codes. They were pushing epi and pushing drugs to keep people alive because if you code people with COVID, you take a chance of spewing, yeah. you know, the COVID around. So anyways, my ethics played a huge role in my very first day. And I had to keep reminding myself that I was in a pandemic. They ended up doing an emergency C-section the next day on the patient that had the pregnant patient. But during all this, my BiPAP patient tanked and, you know, as she seen everything that was going on. So I can only imagine that she was scared that, you know, that was going to be her next that's wheeled out. Hmm. It was horrendous. And it went on, you know, I was there for eight weeks. The first three to four weeks were horrible, much like that. Um, open units, in PPE all day, very, very sick and fragile patients. And then the last four weeks I was in a brain death anoxic injury unit where these patients went without oxygen for too long for one reason or another and now had brain injuries. Well, and that's what I was going to ask is in a hospital that's going through that, how did they divide the units up? Was it COVID was all in one section or was basically every section they assumed there was COVID. So they had different varying levels. Like how did you guys divide up the workload? Well, Tommy, the hospital was a 590 bed hospital and 470 of the patients had COVID. So at the time I was there, everybody had COVID. So there was no dividing. Wow. So it, the critical care units, I think they normally had four or five critical care units. They had 11 it was all makeshift. So you worked 12 hour days the right. time you were there? Yeah. And I'm assuming, I mean, based on the, the way that day one sounded, as far as your description, I mean, there was no, I mean, was there breaks where you left the floor? Was there lunch or was it just, you're there for 12 hours getting your ass handed to you and you, you do all that other stuff on your own time? So I'll be honest with you. The first few weeks I was scared to eat because the nursing staff and the medical interns all had COVID 
and they would talk about it like it was it was normal for them like it was just something that was so i was scared to like be in the lunchroom with them because i thought you know if i'm sitting there eating i'm gonna get covid and they'd occasionally send somebody to home that got too sick but it was scary to eat so i didn't eat for probably two or the three weeks that i was there now i didn't work every day i worked four shifts 12 hour shifts and the first few weeks it was scary to eat because i you know i didn't know who i was eating next to and if they had covid or not so based on that i'm gonna ask and you don't have to answer were you exposed did you catch covid19 well, i was definitely exposed and in my second week you know i had symptoms i went to my manager with symptoms and I was literally told that if I didn't have a fever, that I was okay to work. But if I had a fever to take off for three days, and then um, once I became a fever, I could go back to work. And I'm assuming... Everybody was COVID. Yeah. And so it was just assumed that if you had symptoms that you... I mean, there was no testing of medical staff, nursing staff, anything of that nature. They would test the staff if they got sick enough, but it was it was literally if they had symptoms that were making them super ill that they would need medication to recover. They weren't just testing anybody. You had to literally go through a physician and tell them your symptoms. You had to have a fever or they they weren't going to test you. When I first got there, testing was so limited. And to be honest with you, when I first got there, testing was only like 60% correct. It wasn't even worth taking a test because it you could have COVID and it would say you're negative. Over the time you were there, because that is actually something I know that we have talked about and have heard several times that some of the companies in the rush to get the COVID-19 testing, not every test went through FDA processing and certification. So did the test seem or do you know if the test became more uh, specific or more accurate during yeah. your time there? Right. So by my last few weeks, I think they were saying that testing was 99% accurate. In media and in different places, you know, we heard that obviously family members weren't allowed in the hospitals, but they would call and the nurse might be able to talk to them for a, a few seconds. But of course, I mean, you're getting your ass handed to you. I mean, how much interaction did you have with families? So I made a point to talk to the families every shift, even if it was the end of my shift and another nurse took over, then I, I would talk to them because family is so important at this time, especially when they're so scared. They did make it to where they were utilizing staff that weren't nurses. So they had these individuals that worked in NICU, but they were like social workers and they would carry around iPads because they were more secure than like our cell phone use. So they would carry around iPads and we would FaceTime with the families. So the families even got to see the patients while they were intubated and talk to them. So yes, we got our butt handed to us, but it was a team approach. I mean, everybody jumped in there. I mean, just like in a normal trauma situation, you got a whole unit that jumps in there. So we just did the best we could as a team. It sounds like, and I'm, I'm going to ask to make sure I'm getting this correct. Did it seem like a lot of the red tape that traditionally exists in nursing kind of just basically got cut and it became oh, yeah. a just do your job? Exactly. Just keep them alive. That's literally what we did. We just kept them alive. Okay. Well, once we kept them alive... What were some of the, and I, I'm not going to say, how was treatment, let's say, okay, we, we got this person, they're alive, they're stable now. Obviously, at some point, there's a transition to, we need to start treating this person. What were some of the innovative things that you saw, again, without being too specific, like, what were some of the things you experienced in treating these patients? Like, you mean medication-wise or, or stuff that I hadn't seen? Sure, like... Just in general. Yeah. yeah, I would say we we can discuss medications, but... So we proned everybody, which, you know, we just started using prone beds before I even went out to New York at, I think, North Kansas City Hospital and got prone beds like two years ago or something. So I just started seeing prone beds and we were using them in our ARDS patients. 
So we were treating all these patients like they had ARDS. So they were all being proned. And I, I believe the goal was 16 hours prone and then eight hours on their back. I, you know, I don't remember right now what, what that that was. It's been a few weeks, but, and it varied because we found that these patients did a lot better on their stomach. So sometimes in order to keep them alive, they laid on their stomach for a lot longer. So I don't really remember exactly that policy, but that was something that was very interesting. And I did learn a lot based on how the mechanics of the lungs work to why proning was so much better for the patients compared to you know laying on their back the whole time. Well, and I don't mean specifically like I want you to detail, you know, okay. everything, but but I'm talking like because uh, I remember you and I talking while you were in New York right. City. Right. So, like, how did they divide up how they treated patients? So, like, were certain units getting certain drugs, or how were the no. physicians attacking treatment options? You know, it really just seemed like we were just throwing things at them. <laughs> so when I got there uh, to New York City, you know, Plaquenil was the big hype because Trump was tweeting it around. So they weren't using it because Cuomo said, I, you know, we're not going to use Plaquenil. Well, then the very next week they started using Plaquenil. And I can't tell you what worked and what didn't. For some people, it seemed to work. For some people, it was absolutely dangerous, which is understandable because you don't give yeah. Plaquenil to everybody. The crazy thing about it was we did a lot of trials to see if medications would work. So sometimes the patient wouldn't receive the actual trial drug because they were on trial. So you'd give them the placebo, but we use things like remdesivir. We use a lot of antiviral drugs. You know, they were even talking about at one point uh, injecting the men with progesterone because they thought that women were doing better with COVID, having a higher success rate than men, and they thought it was our hormones. So they were talking about giving men progesterone. Um, hmm. I didn't see that personally. I just read it. But there's a lot of different plasmapheresis. There's a lot of different treatments. And some of these patients, like by the time I left there, some of these patients had went through four, four or five trials of different drugs to help them. And, so, and, and they were still critically ill. So you mentioned earlier, ethically, your first day was very hard just because of your own personal ethics. Right. And I'm assuming that kind of has to do with the, the disaster approach or the greatest good for the greatest number of people, but you're having to let some people go. Right. How is your ethics as far as like clinical trials? Because, I mean, you know, you, you know that some patients are getting the medication that may or may not work, but then you know that some patients are getting placebo. It was tough, but they didn't tell us. So we didn't know. So one of them was the IgG trial, you know, that came out. And then you could tell if the person was getting the actual drug because it was yellow. And then you could tell if the person was getting the placebo because it was saline. I mean, it wasn't hard to figure out. (laughs) (laughs) But it was really difficult because you in your head, you have so much hope that this patient's going to turn around because that's all you can do is hope. And and then you get a, handed a bag of saline and you're like, what am I, what do you really want me to do with this? Like, this is mm. realize that you're a part of a trial is a mess. So I'm, I'm actually going to ask two questions, but the first one is with the different treatments and everything. A lot of the reports we're getting, or at least that I'm reading is everything right now, except for maybe two medications seem to be anecdotal. Like, we can't tell if they're getting better because of the medication or if they're just getting better. And is that something that you saw treating these patients? Yeah. And that's something that they questioned too. Was it time that that helped or was it medication? Yeah. So the second part of all this is you mentioned your ethics and everything going into it and during the trials. Did anything change? And I don't want to say your ethics per se, but did your viewpoint on medicine and nursing change in any way? And did you have any like bedrock? I don't want to say mantra, but like something that like this is what I'm doing, like something that's stuck in your head that you clung to to get you through this ordeal. You know, I would say faith. There was points that I didn't, you know, I wanted to go home. I think all of us wanted to quit. 
but realizing that if, you know, if we quit, these patients don't have anybody was what got me through. But I would say definitely faith. Not that I'm Bible thumper or anything like that. I just, I've always believed in God, but I realized at that point, that's all I had. <laughs> and that's a tough spot to be in though. Right. Yeah, I, I, and that's not a knock on religion in any way. That's a, when you're a nurse and Ben was ER, I was ER, ICU. Yeah. You're used to, well, I'm going to give them, you know, dopamine and this is what's going to happen. And now you're dealing with a bunch of patients where you're like, I hope this is what happens. I mean, that, that can't be a situation that fosters hope every day that you go into work. But at the time, and I think I would say a lot of nurses, you know, even New York nurses, and I don't know if you guys know how New Yorkers are, but they're, they're pretty stubborn people. (laughs) <laughs> heard, yeah. yes they are pretty I've, I've met people. a couple yeah i think even covid softened them up a little bit i think it softened a lot of people up because you realize that you know everything that you're used to that's working like if a patient's bleeding out you can stop the bleeding and give them more blood right traumas you kind of understand because if a patient comes in from a car accident you kind of understand that they've got injuries that cause this With COVID, you know, it's like a silent, deadly killer. You know, it just attacks the body. You don't know, you don't really even know where it comes from. You have, you have no treatment for it. Nothing. It's just so much unknown. Like the doctors don't even know it. Even a world-renowned pulmonologist doesn't know at the time how to treat this disease. And so you have nothing. So, and I guess that's where the faith comes in. That's all you got. It's a virus. It's not like bacterial infection that you can treat with antibiotics. It's a virus. Well, so, I mean, as we're getting closer to the end of the episode, Tom, do you have anything else? I want to get into like post New York, but I mean, I didn't know if you had anything else about, about New York. Yeah. I I would say something that interests me because I'll be honest. I know Ben and I actually shared a few text messages like, Hey, here's what's going on and here's what they're talking about for nurse practitioners to go to New York. Obviously I didn't pull the trigger and some parts of me are happy about that, but some parts of me kind of go, I wish I had done it. I wish I had gone. Since we're going to be talking about post New York here in a second, when you left New York, what did you take from that experience that you think you're going to hold on to for the rest of your career, the rest of your life? Like how do you feel now? Uh, I feel like everything's so important. Family is important. When I was able to hug people again, that was so important. And it's the small things in life. <laughs> it isn't. It isn't the big things. It is definitely the small things in life that you it's take. It's not the Super Bowl. No. <laughs> no. I can let them 49ers go, but I can't. Yeah, I don't want to be away from my family that long again. So coming home from New York, and I know you and I kind of talked privately about that. So once you got back home, you still weren't able to go home. Right. I stayed in a camper until I got my second negative test. How long roughly was that? So I, I took my first test while I was still in New York, my first COVID PCR, and it was negative. I found out the day I flew out, flew back, that I was negative the first time. And then I took my second test the Monday I got back, and I found out that Wednesday. So about five days I stayed away from my family and lived in a camper in a trailer park. <laughs> it was great. So for you, how hard was that? I mean, oh, yeah. I'm sure it was, I have no doubt that it was hard being in New York, but when you're literally less than a mile from them, uh, I mean, emotionally, how hard was that? It was really hard because, you know, I, it, and I fought a battle in my head too. I was like, I'm more negative than they are because, you know, I know I'm negative I know my, you know, my COVID screening's negative, but they didn't take COVID tests. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> so it really did, you know, and quarantining and stuff like that. That's what I kept telling myself. I was like, I'm more negative than most of these people because not everybody goes and gets a COVID test. So I really struggled with it. It, you know, in some ways I was kind of upset and mad. You know, I called the health department when I got here that Monday and I, you know, I explained to him. And then when I talked to my physician that Wednesday, when I got my second negative result, 
she told me, you know, we still think that you should quarantine. And I was like, that's fine, but can I go see my family? And she was like, yes, but we suggest that you, you keep your distance and, you know, don't love on them and hug on them. And I was like, right. really? Like, I'm more naked <laughs> than they are. So I was mad. And then I thought, man, you know, nobody knows anything about this virus. So then I just got, I understand people are being protective and I'm protective as well. But I, I was mad. <laughs> so, you know, we're several weeks out now from you returning. I don't know right. exactly how long. So mentally or emotionally, how are you? I mean, are you, have you done debriefings? Have, are you in counseling? Yeah. I mean, anything to kind of deal with the shit that you dealt with. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, going into mental health myself, I find mental health very important. So that was one of the first things I did was make a therapy appointment. And, you know, and I talked to her. Now I've talked to her for uh, two weeks. I talked to her every Wednesday. And, you know, kind of digging into it, I, I feel like I'm fine, but I'm the type of person that compartmentalize like mm-hmm. stuff that goes on in my life and I just kind of put it in a box and then I forget about it. And yep. I feel fine. I, you know, I don't feel like I'm depressed by any means. I'm working, I'm going about everyday life just as I normally would have. But things tend to like irritate me, like going through the drive-through at McDonald's and the person that's handling my cash isn't wearing a mask. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, people, people really aren't taking this serious. Like, I don't know. And just COVID in general, because it's hit big here, I think jumped 180 last week. I don't know what the numbers are this week. Yeah. And I know locally, like New York Times listed a local, uh, town is the number one hotspot in the nation. So that was a little concerning. Right. And that's where I work today. And I, you know, just realize, and people still don't believe they still don't believe it's real. And, and the idea that somebody is going to have to experience it before they believe it is pretty frustrating to me. That was one of the things I was going to ask is I am sure that somebody, you know, is one of those people that are like, Maybe they're not saying it's a hoax. Maybe they are saying it's a hoax. But somebody you know is not up to par, should I say, on COVID-19. How do you handle or address somebody that just doesn't believe it or they're saying it's fake or they don't think it's as bad as it is? You know, people that are near and dear to me are that way. And I just haven't been able to talk to them, to be honest with you. You know, I'm the type of person I can hold a conversation with just about anybody, but when something that could kill another person doesn't, you know, you don't even stop to think about affecting another person and you just go on about life. I, I just, I struggle. I struggle to even have a conversation with them. And a lot of people are making it a political issue and I can understand that in some ways, you know, we're an election year that sucks for them, whatever. But it's not political. And I said that week one when I was out in New York, this is not a political issue. Like, and stop listening to your politicians. You should probably listen to your doctor. Smart advice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I get probably four inbox messages a day. I get several a week just asking me if they should go get PCR testing. And, you know, if you think you should go get PCR testing, then you probably should. But you should probably talk to your doctor first. I can't give you that kind of answer. If you think you should, you probably should, but you should talk to your doctor first. It's, and I think that's probably going to be the most frustrating thing I take out of this whole ordeal is that people didn't listen to medical professionals. People thought that they could listen to politicians. You know, and you say that and it's weird because on one hand you have people who are, you see these great stories of, towns that are celebrating their medical staff and they're, you know, doing parades in front of the hospitals and they're doing all this other stuff. And then you have this complete other polar opposite of, well, yeah, I appreciate everything you do, but it's all bullshit because it's all just, we're trying to get Trump out of office. I mean, it's it's a weird conundrum of emotion, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It seems Shannon. And I mean, I want to hear your opinion, but exactly like what Ben said, it seems like they are cherry picking. Like, 
for the things oh, that oh, yeah. agree with me, I like science and I like the healthcare workers until they say something I don't like. And then they're assholes. And yeah. I'm like, whoa. Oh, exactly. So I was told by somebody that I've always been super close to last week and I haven't spoke to him since, but I was told that we were actually having a conversation and I brought up the fact that Arkansas had spiked and that my recruiter had contacted me, wanting me to go to Arkansas, which Arkansas is pretty close. So I'd actually considered it. And then I went into some medical points of it. And the other person is not, they're not in medicine by any means. They literally told me that I was giving them CNN talking points and that I need to watch Fox news. <laughs> I am dead serious. Wow. And oh, and I, believe I, you. I believe you, but wow. And I, so I don't watch the news. I haven't watched the news. I haven't even watched the local news since I've been back. And this person knows me very, very well. I'm not a real political person. I have my views, which they're my views, but they are what they are. But I always listen to other people's views. And I might joke with you about your views, but I don't ever take it very serious. And I've always been like that. I always listen to both sides. And, but to say that I like CNN talking points, like I don't even know what CNN's saying. And I need to... (laughs) educated by Fox news. Like I have an education as far as I'm concerned. I'm, you know, I'm pretty educated. <laughs> so uh, literally if you have a medical degree, you may be given some CNN talking points, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's one of the, the striking things to me about this whole situation is people that have no idea, like they couldn't tell you the difference between a femur versus you know a humorous like they don't know anything are suddenly medical experts and know more than you or i about how this works and i i can't believe it it, it still to this day befuddles me if you disagree with them about covid then you're you know you're a leftist and i you know i've never ever been called a a leftist (laughs) or, or a liberal for that matter i've never been called any of that and now I am, I guess. <laughs> I'm just like, you know what? Yeah, I, was saying, I can't imagine calling Shannon a liberal. So. Go, ahead and, go ahead and label me. That, and that's literally what I say. Go ahead and label me. I don't care anymore. Like, it is what it is. But, Tom, you're saying that, you know, they don't know their humor from the humorous, and but they're suddenly medical experts. But, I mean, I think some of that is human nature in general. I mean... You know, I will sit down and I'll watch like figure skating and then like 30 minutes into it, I'm like, oh, I can't believe you didn't land that triple Lutz. Like you didn't get enough fair. What were you thinking? <laughs> okay. No, and that, that's, that's very fair. <laughs> Say, same thing with the law. There are people that literally do not know shit from Shinola, but they are constitutional law experts the minute they got on Facebook. Like, it's true. Yeah, yeah. no. Absolutely. So I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but when it's, when it's a, my brother-in-law got arrested, but he shouldn't have been. And I'm like, okay, you know, no, it's, it's inconsequential. Like, okay, you can run your jib all you want, but like Shannon said, this is killing people. This isn't the time to decide. I now know more than a physician. Like, no, you should not be telling medical staff, nurses, RTs, you know, that's not the time to decide, you know, more about yeah. how to do this. So, well, and the theories but, that they came up with too, the theories oh, yeah. that to match oh, their yeah. beliefs, yeah. it killed me. Yeah. Actually, ben, actually, Ben and I have done entire episodes on the theories people have come up with. So and it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's been interesting. <sighs> All right. Well, Tom, are you ready to get into our final segment? The five questions. Yes. Uh, well, I, I was I was just about to say before we close up, and and so this has been pretty somber, and I mean that in a good way. Like I'm glad we had a serious discussion and and got some good reflections on your time there. But before we get into the funny part, because five questions is usually pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Is there any last thoughts you want to leave with us or the people listening? About your your whole experience. It doesn't have to be anything specific, or it can be, but what do you want other people to know? This is your chance to tell them. I just wish people would just take it serious and love thy neighbor. And I said that 
from the beginning of this, if you can do something to protect somebody else, why not? Nobody in the medical field has asked you to do anything that actually hurts your well-being. They've asked you to wash your, your hands, wear a mask, stay six feet away from people. I mean, it's all pretty simple, common sense things. Like, there's no need to push back on it. Just do it. Love each other. Be kind to one another. Not, I mean, if, if there's a virus that you know could kill somebody and you may potentially spread it to them, why, why take that chance? Well, I don't mean to interrupt, but I saw a, I guess it was a tweet, but it, someone took a picture of the tweet and it's, I've seen it everywhere now. And the guy was talking about wearing a mask and the same things you just said. And he said, if I wear a mask and scientists are right, then I potentially have saved someone's life. If I wear a mask and the scientists are wrong, all I did was inconvenience myself by wearing a paper mask. Right. So yeah. isn't, isn't the chance of wearing the mask so much worth the inconvenience? Unfortunately, that's the problem I have with humanity at this point in time is right. they are unwilling to do anything that might cause them any discomfort, regardless of whether it helps. Yeah. yeah, and possibly right. kill someone else. So, but if you don't have anything else, Shannon, let's uh, let's end this on the lighthearted note, and uh, we're going to do a segment five questions. Ben, do you uh, want to take the honors here and talk yep, about? This? Let me uh, get the music queued up first here, and then we'll get going into it. Oh, you're not going to tell her what <laughs> it is? I'll tell her after <laughs> we get it started. Oh, all right. Okay. all right, here we go. Join us on a journey into the inner psyche of our guest as we ask five, 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 five questions. All right, Shannon. So this is five questions. And basically what this is, is we ask the same five questions to every single guest that we have on the show. I ask the questions. Tom makes fun of your answers. Okay. With you. Like, it's fun. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's a good time. And so these are questions that you don't know, need to think a whole lot about them. We just kind of want your your first thoughts, and it just kind of tells us more about you. Okay. All right. Question. Oh, she one. said okay. I, yeah, she agreed. <laughs> All right. Question one. What is your favorite medical word? Oh dang! I don't know. Did she say how boring. <laughs> how boring. <laughs> This well, let me tell you, that's, yeah, <laughs> wrong answer, Shannon. <laughs> I guess my favorite medical word, I don't know, because everything I think of is dirty that comes to mind, like anus. Yeah, say it. There you go. There that's you your go. favorite anus. medical word is anus. There you go. Shannon's <laughs> the first to say that. Is there a particular reason why anus is, is well, a word? You know, every time I see those signs, you know, about Uranus fudge or something, I always think of <laughs> oh. Uranus. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I like it. I mean, that's, yeah, there you go. All right. That cool. does itself. I don't even have to help with that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It just kind of wrote itself, didn't it, Tom? Uh, yeah. Question two, Shannon. If you could do any job in the world other than what you currently do, what would it be? horticulture wow okay is there a, <laughs> is there a reason why why we're going down that road i don't know just something besides medicine just being outside and i don't know not a not a lot of buttholes <laughs> in uh horticulture yeah not a lot of wiping buds and, yeah there might be buttholes i don't yeah. you never know i mean and one with nature i guess i don't know it's a good answer so Tom's here just to make fun of him, so don't you know? Don't worry about him. <laughs> He's stuck in the boat. <laughs> he usually is. <laughs> Question three, Shannon. You think back to your first car. Was it a stylish ride or a rolling turd? A rolling turd. It was a nineteen ninety Geo Storm. It was yellow in color. Did you say a yellow Geo Storm? Yeah, I think she did. Yes. Wow. Yeah. No, you're right. That is that is definitely a rolling so turd. Was it like bright yellow or? Yeah, it was bright yellow. She's laughing too and hard. You're to a mile over. away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, the car, did, did you name the car? Yes, the Bumblebee. Oh, the, the Bumblebee. <laughs> and this is way before Transformers, so she thought she was hot shit right there. Yeah. 
<laughs> how, yeah. how fast did you, could you get your car up to? I know you gunned it at least once. How fast? 55? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I don't think I got it above 70 at any time. It was it was a piece of junk. <laughs> <laughs> Max speed of 70. Wow. Question four, Shannon. If your house is on fire and everyone, including your pets, are safe, other than pictures, what's the one thing you want to get out of your house? Probably clothes. Like all of your clothes? Like you're going to like carry all of them? I got this, Tom. Just say. Yeah. <laughs> you can see me winding up. <laughs> I could. I was like, wait a minute. Wait, wait. So you're going to put like every piece of clothing you own on to get out of your house. I'm going to put them in a bag. Not as much as I can. If my house no, is on no. fire. One item. One item. I so I only get one item of clothing. No, that's literally the question. Thing you want out of your house. One thing. So I can't take all my clothes. No, no, they're gone. Oh shit! I guess you can take your favorite set of pajamas. I mean, like <laughs> I don't know what you want here. I don't know. I don't really know that anything's important besides pictures. My dog. Good lord! These people on pictures. Your dog's safe. We're, yeah, we're not killing any dogs. So. <laughs> you don't have like what a leftist, I- like liberal metal or anything like that. Yeah, to do grab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I guess I would take uh, my fire safe. Yeah, <laughs> the house is a fire. Thing. You have a fire safe, which is made to be safe in fires, and nope. that's the one that you take. God, Shannon, you're killing me here. I don't know what else. When she said yeah. clothes, legit, I had a picture in my head of that scene from um, A Christmas Story when the mom is dressing Ralphie's little brother and all the clothes that he can barely move. That was Shannon like trying to waddle out of the house on fire yeah. with like, seven clothes on. So Shannon's overly practical. Gotcha. All, all right. right. <laughs> Question five. Oh, this one should be interesting. All right. Here we Question go. Question five. You have $9.18 in your pocket. You're at the convenience store. What all do you buy? $9.18, probably. Do I have to spend all my money? Because I'm probably just going to buy it. You don't have to spend it all. That's just that's what you have. Probably just a Dr. Pepper and a pack of gum. She's such a good person. I was waiting for her to say, and then donate the rest to the children's fund. Because they always <laughs> have that little thing right next to the register. Like, damn, Shannon. Could you just <laughs> could you just buy a Slim Jim and tell me something about yourself? Oh, come on. A, a Dr. Pepper. What kind of gum? What, what's your favorite gum? Because my wife has got a particular gum. Soft mitt. Orbit soft mitt. Orbit. That's like a $4 gum, isn't it? I mean. Yeah. So, yeah, it's expensive. Yeah. Yep, so there you go. Good thing she's got $9.18. Now she's only got 22 cents to give those poor starving children. <laughs> Look what you did, Shannon. Just because you wanted orbits, Wrigley's wasn't good enough, huh? Uh, see, Tom can turn it no matter what. He can turn it into making fun of you somehow. Uh, that's what we keep him around for. That's what my special skill is. Yeah. After all saving people's lives, I'm like, I can ruin your self-esteem. So <laughs> All right. Well, that uh, that concludes five questions. Wow. If you like this episode, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast. Our website's www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email is admin at justsomepodcast.com as well. Tom? Well, I was going to say, Shannon, any last words before we get off? Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I'm going to speak on behalf of Tom here because, well, I feel like I can yeah. Um, <laughs> and he'll just edit me out anyway, so might as well. Yeah, so. exactly. Now, you know, Shannon, I want to tell you from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate the hell out of you for being willing to go to New York and face this in Ground Zero. And then, of course, being willing to come on the show and talk to us about it. But, you know, I think not only do you deserve the accolades and the appreciation, but I think your family does too, because I know that that's had to have been hard on them as well. So, I mean, from, from just some podcasts, I think that we just, we want you to know how much we really do appreciate you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Did I speak well enough for you, Tom? You did. I was just going to say, maybe I'll just buy her a pack of Orbit's gum and send it to her now. <laughs> do you have that kind of money, Tom? I don't know. <laughs> expensive. I got expensive. It change. is expensive. I spend all my money donating it to, uh, like orphans so i i will see if i can get some for her uh 
I thought you donated to the Just Some Podcast Fund. I was confused. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I donate enough to that. So oh, true. All right. Well, on that note, again, Shannon, thanks for being here. Thanks for talking to us. This was kind of another COVID nineteen episode. So I do want to mention that we still do have COVID nineteen items on our Just Some Podcast merchandise store. If you go to our website, justsomepodcast.com, up on the top, it does say shop. You can click there. All of the proceeds from anything that you buy that is related to COVID-19 on our store does go to hashtag first responders first. We are not taking anything off of that. That's all going to them to help continue to fight the good fight against COVID-19. So go buy some merch. It's pretty high quality stuff. I love my coffee cups. Good. See, even, even Shannon bought some. See? Yeah, Even Shannon found a way to dip it to the Orbit's gum fund and get some coffee <laughs> cup. Because she was essential before essential school. Yeah. That's all right. On that note, hey, I hope everybody has a wonderful week and a safe 4th of July. Hey, everybody, stay safe out there. Practice swearing just to pass the time. Lately, I see why I am alone. Some road bridge and I thought of you And all the many times